today's show, part two of our conversation with attorney and political scientist Dan DeNorch, who shares his experience running for county commissioner and weathers the politically cynical firestorm from the roundtable. That's today on Tuesday noon for June 27, 2006. And Tuesday noon, Tuesday noon, we're back. Hey, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you again. You look just as good as you did last well, week. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm always handsome. <laughs> so that's easy. I'm Pete Wright, sitting here with... Mr. Jamie Whitley. And... Mary Bradbury Jones. And our esteemed guest back again with us two weeks in a row. I can hardly believe it. Dan DeNorch. Dan, it's good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for putting up with us. Uh, you're looking sharp again, Dan. Yeah, not much different than last week. <laughs> <laughs> so today is uh, today is Civics Day, right? Mary, you were fired up about this. Tell us what we're going to talk about. I was fired up. Well, we're we're here with uh, Dan DeNorge. If you listened to us last week, you know that he is a uh, practicing attorney in Oregon, teaches at the University of Phoenix, and um, is a little bit of a politician himself. Ran for uh, in the pri- this past primary, Washington County Commissioner. And has definitely um, got his eyes on another election at some point in the future, although he won't tell us what he's thinking about running for. Uh, but he's here today with us to kind of talk about uh, politics in general. We have some ideas of what we'd like to talk about, but it's really uh, kind of open to how the, the direction this group goes. Yeah, because last week it was all about technology, and I kind of take the blame for that because I'm kind of because you're a geek on the geek you're stuff. A geek. I'm a fanboy. I can't get the whole pocket protector <laughs> thing going on. You know, little, little, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not I don't know. That's good because you don't even there know. There you go. No, That's I right. don't know. That's right. Because I couldn't come up with a really cool word like you so, had last time. <laughs> yes. Twice. Yeah, yeah twice. Right. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys drive. Go ahead. Get fired up, Mary. Mary, get fired oh, okay. up. <laughs> Yeah, is that what I'm known for, or what? Uh, no, uh-uh, no. Not at fire, all. Mary. Fire is fire what away. Yeah. Well, fire is what I'm known for. Okay. Um, well, I, why don't we? I mean, go you do have this little thing in your back that we twist, and, and then you start like moving <laughs> you know, around real fast. Yeah, and then when it winds down, we start again. You got to yeah. wind me back up. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, freedom for the people. Freedom for the people. Freedom for the people. Freedom for the people. Fire the people. <laughs> so. Um, how about if we dive in? We were one idea that we had is having Dan maybe share with us a little bit about how elections work, how they really work. So we're I mean, besides watching TV and, and and voting and the voter pamphlet and all that kind of stuff, what goes on behind the scenes, Dan? Well, I, I don't know because I didn't get that far behind. The scenes. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think that was the big problem. You see, there's a scene, and you have to get into the scene before you can find out what happens behind the scene. What do you mean? So I just jumped into this election. I was just so upset. I, I was Wanted driving down the street. I wanted to make a difference. I heard them say, today's the last day if you're going to register to run for an office. So I drove straight over and I registered without any idea of what I was doing or who I should be doing it with, and certainly with no money. That's how I got married. I was going to say, yeah. it sounds like <laughs> this is Dennis Rodman and uh, like Carmen Electra. Hey, let's yeah. get married in Las Vegas. <laughs> Woo! And Brittany. And, and, yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. So a number of I saw I did see a number of things. There there is a party structure, and it's critical if you want to be effective in politics to belong to the party structure. Unless you happen to have like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you've got so much charisma and so much fame and so much money that you 
can make, in a sense, your own party. Just Ventura, right? When he did right. Minnesota, same type right. of thing. Right? You, you have to ha- – without something like that, the only way you're actually going to get yourself elected is to be part of the machine. Why is that? I don't understand. Because that's how you get pay- – attention gets paid to you and that's how you get the money. So I'll, I'll expand on that. <laughs> see a confused look. Um, in the election I was in, the Washington County commissioner race, we had one person running for one of the commission seats who is a former aide to Darlene Hooley and Mitch Greenlee. And that person got more publicity and more speaking opportunities. Because they were an aide to... Because they, they were already hooked into the machine. I don't machine. know who those other people are, so that's why I was curious. So. Well, Darlene Hooley is a U.S. congresswoman. All right, so Mitch, because they're the aide to a congressperson... They get they're already press and credibility and all that. Well, they're a known there. quantity. They have all the connections necessary to get to the other connections, and those of us who were not connected became completely invisible. We're not seen by the media as even worthy of being talked to. Um, and in fact, a concluding article, the day or two days after the election, said, "Well, these three candidates." didn't run a serious campaign. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I went to every single forum and every single interview that I was interviewed that I was invited to, that I knew about, every opportunity, and even spent some of my own money. How's that not serious? Mm-hmm. Now, I was ser- I didn't really think I was going to win because the person run- I was running against has 8 years in office already going for four more, and started out his campaign with $22,000 in his campaign coffers that to which he added 91000 compared to my $800. Yeah. <laughs> For a county commissioner. For a county commissioner. Yeah. I mean, that's and the money was coming from big interest groups. And, and it's all it's all a matter of public record. You can go down to the elections office and you can see who contributed those, those monies. Some of the biggest contributors were uh, Nike, at Phil... Phil Knight at Nike, Intel, leave Don Morris at home. Big, big interest groups were significant contributors. And those interest groups contributed to all of the main candidates, regardless of party. So unless you're on that... Yeah. Yeah. So unless you're on the inside, you can't get access to that. You can't money. even get you can't even get to those people to ask them for money, <laughs> much less get any. Well, so then their how money. do you compete? I mean, unless you're independently wealthy, you don't. You can't compete. You literally cannot much compete. Like Bloomberg, well, the other thing that was very interesting for me in this election is that the person who came in second is someone who said at the outset he had absolutely no intention of campaigning whatsoever, was not in the voters' pamphlet but came in second because he's got a very well-known name in Washington County. So what was kind of horrifying to me is that, first of all, there was a very small turnout for a very important office, a very important election, number one. And number two, of the people interested enough to even bother to vote, 17% of them voted for somebody they probably didn't even know just because they recognized the name. Wow. Well, you know, what do they say about, um, and I, you know, I don't know the figures, so I probably shouldn't go there, but in the 2000 election, there were, um, out of Florida, there was something like 
you know, little less than 20%, but again, I can't remember. Who thought they were voting for George Sr.? Mm-hmm. Bush. Oh, that's bad. Is that bad? I told you Al Gore should have won. So, anyway. Al Gore um, did win. Al Gore did win. <laughs> but, um, so, well, the one thing that, that um, I've heard, and I remember the presidential, but what they say now, to even be, to even have a chance of running for president, you have to have a minimum of $45 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds likely. I, I, I wouldn't and know. And then, you know, the Senate's next with the uh, House being mm-hmm. the lead. But I think even for, like, a House seat, you were looking at, like, about 40000 50000 Wow. Something and like then what that. do you get? And where do you get it? You, you get it from big, big money interest and groups. And to get that, you have to get involved on the inside. You know, and it's then you got to do something for that money. They're not giving to, to exactly. you for free. Yeah. So it's really funny. So you get in to make a difference, right? So you drove up there that day and said, I want to make a difference. I'm tired of the way things work, et cetera, et cetera. And, and though to make that difference, you have to get inside of the party. And the party will kind of pick and choose who they like and don't like. Absolutely. So then to get liked, you pretty much have to toe the party line and nod your head up and down when you're told to and all those sorts of things until you're acceptable. And then when you're acceptable, they'll go ahead and fund you and stuff. And at which point you are so beholden to them and you've probably lost all, you know, you've lost who you were in the first place, exactly. why you even started. So now you've become part of the machine and, and really to be very cynical, now you're just part of the problem yet once again. Right. Exactly. Which I think you've just hit on the perfect attitude of why we have voter apathy, why we had one of the lowest Mm -hmm. uh, turnouts uh, here in Oregon. Because in terms of impacting an election, it really is easier to impact uh, who wins American Idol than it is to impact who wins some sort of legislative office. Well, you feel like you don't have a voice. Well, Jamie, I think you've made great arguments in what you just said for both term limits mm-hmm. and publicly financed elections. The political process is inherently corrupting, and I don't mean corrupting like criminal, but it corrupts one's integrity yeah. because you have to go along to get along. You will not be if you may get elected, but you will not be able to do anything. You can't be effective unless you make compromises. And I think what happens for the vast majority of people is they make small compromises at first, and then compromising itself becomes a way of life, and pretty soon you're making huge compromises on your own integrity, and you don't even see them as compromises. So if there are term limits, then you simply don't have the opportunity to get to the point where you're making the huge compromises. You'll still have to make the small ones, but you won't be making the huge ones. There's a, I, I'm speculating, obviously, because it's not happened, but I, I think that that's a possibility for people standing m- more on principle. Mm-hmm. And then the publicly financed elections, same, all part of the same thing. In order to get creative, committed, interested, intelligent people engaged in government, you've got to give them a way to get in. Exactly. Otherwise, all you're going to get are the millionaire executives and the TV stars. Because they're the only ones with the money yep. and the and or the fame sufficient. And if we had publicly financed campaigns, they wouldn't spend half of their term not doing anything and running around all over the country raising money, which is what they do. So, yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, there will be nothing done this Being year. Being a congressman is, is nothing but doing campaign finance raising. 
There's no time to do anything else. Well, if you look at how long they actually spend in office doing things, it's not a significant period of time. The rest no. of your time is spent on the road. And sure, you're talking to con, you know, consistent. What's the word I'm looking for? Constituents. <laughs> and all those things. Uh, but in reality, the other side is you're raising money. You're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to keep your coffers full so you can get elected again. And then we, the public, sits and wonders why nothing happens and nothing gets done. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, you know, if, if any one of us on in this room or on, listening to this broadcast wanted to sit down with uh, Governor Kulongoski or, the uh, you know, whomever, we'd have uh, probably the proverbial snowball's chance. But if Phil Knight wants to sit down and have a conversation, uh, anytime, yeah. you know, power and money give you access. It's very sad. So how do you break that? Well, I think term limits and public financing are the are the two key elements. You got to get the money out of politics. Yeah. That's the bottom line. But so, what's the argument against that? I mean, if you could take the money out of politics, are, you know, are any of the the candidates running ever going to be heard? I mean, it's very very expensive to run a campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly on a national level, but even on a state level. Well, the, theory, From a the marketing standpoint, it's ridiculously expensive to right. get your word out there. We wouldn't have to deal with those horrible TV ads. Yeah, it would cut down TV ads for one. But what the <laughs> argument is, though, is that then people aren't being, aren't being made aware of the issues. If you don't have the money to get the but word out, then nobody knows what their stance is. First of all, they talk one, uh, certainly they talk one slam, side they, of it. They slam the other side is all they really Yeah, do. they slam the other side's position on an issue. Well, I'd actually like to see a law limiting that somehow. I'm too. not quite sure how it would have to be phrased, but actually making it illegal to do those kinds of ads. Oh, now come on. And requiring truth in advertising so that when when who's, who's a truth? group come on, so you're going to limit the, what people can say on TV and they're not at all. So you're going to make it illegal they for have them to, to stand they up have there to tell with the their, truth. They're beautiful children and flowers and how they're going to help everybody out and you're going to say they can't do that? I mean, who bet. put you in charge? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> That's why it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> but really is but isn't to some extent the negative ad campaigns is a political strategy. Sure it is. Because what it does is it disenfranchises the voter. That's what leads to apathy. When they are barraged with negative messages over and over again, then what they say is, what's the point? The whole thing's a mess. These, you know, the whole thing's a mess and everybody's a crook anyway, anybody's so why a crook. bother? They're all the same. I'm not even going to go vote. So I think there is a political strategy behind negative campaigns. Absolutely. I, I think there's a reason why it's done. Just Beyond just smearing the, the other side, you bet. Well, I mean, it's a, it's the riff off of the Will Ferrell uh, clip he did for, uh, oh gosh, what was it? It was some pack, and he was doing his George Bush impression, and he said, you know, whatever you do, don't listen to Democrats or Republicans or the news, except for Fox News. <laughs> and and don't vote (laughs) you know but that leaves the question which is do politicians want everybody voting no absolutely not probably not no they want they want their key people to vote in their key areas better than that no they like low voter turnout it is about voter turnout it's really not about popular choice it's about targeting those areas that you think are going to support you and then getting them to vote at the exclusion of other areas that aren't going to vote for you. I mean, it's really a numbers game. 
Okay, so here's the problem. The problem is, is that our modern political system is exactly the same political system that got the president of my high school class elected, right? He's cool. He has the friends that are on the football team and the cheerleading squad. And how are we ever going to get past the whole Napoleon Dynamite thing? Well, you know, what's really interesting is, is the emergence of technology and what that does in terms of the process of, of voting and awareness and issues and those sorts of things. We certainly have the opportunity to push out and create a, a groundswell of support for something in ways that we didn't have before. And there are all kinds of reports in the media and stuff about demonstrations coming together via people texting each other, for example. Uh, there's Howard Dean's campaign and all the, the small donations that he received and, and the groundswell to happen through the, these new types of media. And the way and, bloggers are affecting legislation. Oh, uh, it's, uh, yeah. You know, it was Joe Trippi's sort of as the online campaign manager for Dean. I mean, it was this, the creating this kind of online groundswell. But, you know, I, what's interesting is that we've got this group, and we talked about this two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was, uh, this group of of folks who are just now at voting age or have been through at least the last major national election cycle who are more savvy and more cynical even than we are. So here we are trying to discuss this issue in terms of what we understand and expect. And these Gen Y folks, they trust politicians even less. Sure. Well, we've proved to them that they should. Yeah. I mean, really, you look at <laughs> – we have. I mean, yeah. you look at what's happened in terms of politics and, and people – getting into trouble and corruption and, and no real change happening at all. You, you look at their parents moving from job to job that nobody cares and they get kicked out, pensions being stolen from them, et cetera, et cetera. Why would they care? We have told them not to care. It said, so don't care because we're just going to screw you anyways. It's the old Casablanca thing, right? You, know, you despise me, don't you? Yeah. If I gave you any thought, I probably would. <laughs> That's exactly <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so they don't vote because why should they? And, and how, do we, how do you crack that? And how do you how do you get a hold of that and, and mobilize that? And I don't yeah, know. That's that's a that. great question. I, I think that's the you know the sixty four thousand dollar question. How do you motivate people when right. when everything is telling them not to be motivated? Well, and the bigger question, even more pertinent for you, is how do you motivate them for local elections? That's at, conventionally, it's almost impossible. It's such a name game mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Issues almost don't play into it at all. Then you have to put some outrageous bill on the ballot that will get those people out to vote because they're so outraged right. over the one bill. And, and so that's why now you have every election we're going to have gay marriage, we're going to have flag burning, we're going to have uh, you know uh, stuff around abortion, there's going to be the stuff around mm-hmm. you know judges, radical judges. Because it's um, the only thing that creates drive-by traffic for the bills that maybe do matter. Right, because a lot of people do become kind of apathetic to the economic side or international affairs or those kinds of things. Um, so you got to put some sort of emotional issue on the ballot to get some people out to vote. It's hmm. crazy. Organ system's kind of screwed up, too, if you take a look at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the political system certainly is no different than any other places. But we have some unique challenges here in terms of the way we're doing our, our whole tax system because, of course, we don't have any kind of sales tax. We only have an income tax and a property tax. Our property tax is, is capped, so it doesn't grow the same. Dan, you all right there, man? <laughs> Dan's so excited about this time. I'm just jumping out of my chair. Out of his chair. <laughs> Your taxes and <laughs> taxes. 
Speaking of which, I'm getting a kicker tax back. I'm so excited. I'm in. What are you going to do with those $18? I, well, I don't Do we know how much it is? <laughs> they were saying something like two to 300 bucks per thousand that you paid. So, yeah, I'm getting about 18 bucks. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, we have this really weird law that says if we collect more money in revenue than we budgeted, that money does not go into a rainy day fund. It doesn't get stored away for next year. It, it gets sent back to the taxpayers in the form of a kicker tax or a kicker refund. The idea, of course, is that if we kept it, they would just spend it. They would do some kind of pet project or the case may be. So, yeah, order, like, like fun schools maybe. Well, well you know. God or, forbid. Or who knows what it would be. Uh, and the idea, though, is that because we don't trust government in the first place, therefore we're going to give it back to the people. I think, and, I think that's exactly it. It's that same you know, mistrust that you were talking about a minute ago. People don't trust government. So when you say, let's do away with the kicker tax, they say, well, why? You'll just waste the money anyway. Yeah, exactly. I I actually believe that Oregon voters support taxes if they know that the taxes are actually being used for constructive purposes. So part of it's government's fault because government doesn't let people know that their taxes are actually producing useful outcomes. I agree. Yeah, why don't we get budget statements just like stockholders do in companies? I don't know. I don't know. I've always thought that they ought to be, for example, in the Oregonian or something like that where you get a quarterly report on what the government's doing and where the yeah. money's but, going exactly. and budgets and all that. But then stuff. you hear things about like what happened down in New Orleans. You know, the government, the, the federal government contracts with contractors to remove the waste. And the big giant contractor who's allowed to bid on government contracts because all the regulations – don't let the little guys bid. Right. Well, they bid to do the job for X dollars. And then they, as soon as they get the contract, they turn right around and they subcontract to somebody else who, who agrees to do it for one half the amount, who turns around in his turn and contracts to get it done for one quarter of the amount. So the government is paying X and the job's getting done for one quarter of X and the rest, the other three quarters of the money is pure waste. It's going to line the pockets of people who are acting, in fact, completely legally, but without any ethics or integrity. And oh, then, yeah. and then people hear about that, and you know, it's like, well, why vote? Why, why vote? Why, why have regulations? Why have taxes? It's all going to be wasted anyway. Yeah, why even consider a sales tax? Yeah, it would get misused. I mean, that that's the argument was is if I if I vote for a sales tax, that's just one more way that you're going to misuse my dollars or tax me more or whatever the case may be. So, no, I'm not going to do that. So I'm, I'm going to control at least something, and I'm not going to yeah, vote for it. I'm just going to say no. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to learn about it. I'm not going to figure out how to make it work. I'm just going to say no because it's easier to do that, and at least I'm still in control. And what, what ha- when, when did the kind of mindset change? Because if I understand correctly, you know, for the longest time, ta- you know, taxes were viewed as an investment investment into the future of the community. Um, somewhere along the way, they've become demonized, and they're now a burden. Uh, I don't know, Mary. Well, I've always thought taxes were a burden. I was going to say, <laughs> who means, why can you invest my tax money better than me? Well, but when it's talking about the commons that everybody's going to use, you have to do, I mean, everybody's going to use I-5. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So if we don't do that, then that will mean that you now need to pay a pass to drive I-5 for every time that you do. But I don't get any value out of PERS, so why should I pay for that? I, I actually think that there's a sort of a, I'm going to call it, for, for want of a better term, a, a developing survivor, reality TV survivor mentality, which is we're all on the island together, but it's every man for himself. And I'll be your friend this episode, but next week I'm going to knife you. And... Well, what's good. what's lost is there's this lo- there is no sense of community, possibly I don't know because of what's taught at the grade school level. Because certainly when I was growing up, it was all about civics and the government exactly. and the Revolutionary War and this is our country and this is our community, and you know there's a lot of real patriotism, like community-based patriotism. Now it's more like uh, this is my football team and we're going to go kick some. You know, ass. <laughs> Where it's okay. Can we that's say okay. that? We can say that. Yeah. We're gonna. Do we have a, like a list of the seven, <laughs> eight, eight, seven dirty words? <laughs> we're gonna go kick butt. But you know. The, but the problem is, we're, we're kicking right. butt at PepsiCo Stadium or whatever yeah, it is. You know. Right, I yeah. mean, it's well, not, there isn't the same community that we've had before, and people are very isolated. And and we've talked about this before, Pete. You and I. This whole issue of you can live in an apartment complex right next door to somebody. For years, and you don't even know who they are. Yeah, you don't. You don't even know their name. You say hi every once in a while, and and you're isolated all by yourself. And mm-hmm. so there's all these things going on in the world, or and you get little tiny sound bites, and you form opinions from those, but you're not really engaged, actively engaged, right. and and in reality, you're not that informed, and and you're not participating. Mm-hmm. And the community breaks down, and then we end up struggling more and more and more. And is that really a? a, a Good quality of life. Well, I guess there's something that would that would say that. But one of the things that um, has come out recently was looking at our country around, like our suicide rates are up right now. Um, depression rates. D- depression are up. rates are going through the roof because I don't think people like that. In the end, I don't think that's a satisfying way of living. I mm. think the the idea of community in the end um, is a more positive approach to life in general, which makes life more satisfying across the So maybe it does take a village. Yeah. Well, uh, and I always hesitate to tell people that they should live this Last way. Last past, huh? Uh-huh. That was nice. Uh-huh. I wanted there to be a joke there, but it was such a sensitive uh-huh. moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I he had a like, tear in his eye. I needed a banjo <laughs> instead, you know, to play us out. <laughs> so, but I think it kind of going back to the taxes and with the roads thing, I think that what we are, what we are witnessing now is the idea of what happens with privatization. You you have the concept that government's awful, so we need to privatize everything because corporations will run things better than the government will. But then what happens is you're not taking into account the greed factor mm-hmm. of what happens in those organizations. So at first we think, isn't this great? My taxes have lowered and everything's better until eventually it's now this for the service and it's this for the now service and it's this. And the next thing you know, either you're paying more for the service or your quality's dropping and you're still paying the same price. Exactly. I don't even want to tell you what my Comcast bill has turned into in the last three years. Horrifying. You don't have a lot of choices, though. I mean, that's, that's no, you the don't. bottom line. But see, I would argue, though, Mary, that privatization in itself is not bad at all. 
What happens, though, is if we don't allow any competition in that, like Dan was talking about earlier, that there's only a couple of bidders and et cetera, et cetera, is if there's no real competition, then it becomes no better than the federal government itself or state government or whatever it is. Because really, if it's the only particular entity, they're going to get away with doing it any way they want to do it. So so the reason, the challenge is not that we privatize, it's that it's not competitive. How do you force the competition? Well, I mean, that's, that, that now you're stuck into all, the area of what <laughs> capitalism is all about in the global marketplace, yeah. which is buying buying up the little guy and, and building your, your empire to some extent. So then now you have the government trying to regulate that? Well, I don't know. Well, that's, that's maybe, a problem. Maybe they can. I'm tax just saying, oil how profits. Do you do so that? there you go, right? That's actually what we've been talking about in my management uh, uh, law class, employment law class, is that you've got that greed factor, that dominate or avoid domination factor, and that's why relationships between people have to be regulated. So regulation in and of itself isn't bad. The Constitution regulates relationships. You're going to have regulation or you're going to have simple uh, you know, warfare. Chaos. You're going to have the jungle. So what really happens, what's, where the real problem arises is that regulation ends up getting enacted in response to extreme examples. You have one really corrupt person, or you have one real big tragedy, and then everybody rushes and creates this really restrictive regulation because of that one example, and then everything goes crazy, and, and nobody can work and nobody can function. So then you have to wait until some horrible example on the other end happens, and then everybody runs around and creates new legislation to fit that weird example. So it really takes, I would say, calm heads, <laughs> like like the founding fathers who really mm-hmm. thought, how can we say this stuff as simply as possible, as generally as possible, so that it will last for years and years and be applicable to whatever changes occur over time? The more specific regulation yeah. becomes, the more likely it will be to be bad regulation. And that's a really, really general thing to say. But so it's it's not really a matter of privatization or government doing it. It's, you know, it's just a matter of properly regulating it. But you know, Ben Franklin was sitting there in the early days working on those documents with the founding fathers saying, let's say this really generally because, man, we don't want to have to deal with this later. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you guys. On that note. uh, Yeah, we have. uh, We have. Wasted another go. half hour of never, our we day. Haven't even gotten. We have enough. a huge list left. I know, uh, huge list left. Day. That says we are way overprepared. We should take more time to, you know, drink coffee and relax. Yeah. Thank you very much to the team, to the roundtable, Dan. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. It's been we, fun. We really appreciate yeah, thank your you. time. We can find you at OckhamsRazorConsulting.com. That's correct. Still, still, and uh, we'll look for you in the public eye. All right. And all right. I hope you come man. back and talk to us again. When we're all more famous. Happy to. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Have a good day. See you next week. Thanks, everybody. Tuesday noon. This has been Tuesday Noon for June 27, 2006. To see some of the stories we've been tossing around the table, check us out on Delicious at del.icio.us slash Tuesday Noon. And send us email, Tuesday12 at gmail.com. We would love to talk all about you on the air. Join us again next week, Tuesday Noon.
So stick with Bushy. And don't vote. And don't listen to liberals or Democrats or other Republicans that make fun of me. Or read the news or watch the news except for Fox. Thank you. And God bless.